Excellent. I'll just while the kids are out of the room, we can talk about them now. Um, just so we, yesterday we had Nerf Wars, and so this is a, very weird to be stood. I was ministering here yesterday in this very spot, um, in a not dissimilar manner uh, to the way I am now. Um, parents, when the kids come back up, can you just remind them if they're at Nerf Wars, there is a miniature Nerf warrior hiding in the building that's still not been found that they can take up. Adults can look for it too as well if you want. Well, it would be telling if I told them. I mean, it, 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 do you know? Can't get the staff. Um, he's hiding. Well, I will simply say to you that um, let there be light is the only clue I will give you. Let there be light. That's the only clue, but you get to win the little tiny miniature nerf for it. Sam, you can't go looking for him now. <laughs> Excellent. So, I want this morning to um, just talk about uh, family, the church family this morning. And I just want to open up with, with just with the, the prospect of a dedication, just something a little bit different from our normal series I've been doing uh, about Tenacious. Again, I'm really finishing that one off. Um, we're starting a new series soon. So this is looking about uh, real life and about parent dedication, why it's so important. In fact, we asked the whole church uh, to be part of that dedication because we're talking about being family, the family of God. And it set my mind wondering about the family of God, this church thing, what is this, how does this work? And so this morning I'm going to explore being the family of God and all the reality of that, all that it brings. Um, the family is far more than just mum and dad and 2.2 children. Uh, that's really just a small shadow of what the family of God can be and all that he calls us into. And uh, just recently I've noticed on TV lots and lots of EastEnders advertisements. Have you seen the EastEnders advertisements on telly? Well, you mean you are so spiritual you turn over even when an advert for EastEnders comes on? Go on, put your hand up. Who actually watches EastEnders? Come on. You see a whole bunch of people that we'll pray for later watch EastEnders. <laughs> wow. They are, they are one, I don't mean, when I say one special family, I don't mean this lot, I mean the EastEnders lot. I mean, they are a special family. EastEnders is a really weird family, the stuff that goes off, which I'm going to refer to in a moment, but it set me thinking about families that are not perhaps average, and you know me, I love to type, one of my favourite things to do on, on um, the internet is to simply type in things like family photographs, or weird family photographs, and so that's what I did. I have, the more you look at that picture, the more disturbing it becomes. At first you think it's a family photograph. And then you notice the hair. And then you notice dad is actually a dummy. <laughs> I have no idea what's going off there with that very unnormal family. And then I saw these two pictures. What is going off? I mean, who thought it was a good idea to do a fun picture of their youngest child with a baseball bat? And more particularly, what about the other couple? It's the cat I feel sorry for there. You can just see it in the cat's eyes. Look at the cat's eyes. It's thinking, why? Why? I could have had a little old lady. I could have been called Tittles, but no, I got these two. <laughs> this kind of represented my version of parenting. This is pretty much how my kids got brought up. Um, I think, yeah, pretty much upside down. They were, they were, I used to take great delight in bringing them to church and seeing how high in the air I could throw them to scare certain people and dangling them by the legs and swinging them around. And uh, I mean, they, they got to about 18 and started objecting. But... <laughs> You know, and then I love this real picture. <laughs> Come on, you've all dropped your kid. If you've got a kid, you've all dropped them. 
you know at some point you have dropped your own child. My, all of my children, all of them, I've got two, um, have done that thing where they sat on my knee and the head's so heavy they flipped off and done a backflip and landed crashing on the floor head first. I've done that to both of my children on numerous occasions, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> I've dropped them. Um, I've done that thing where you're doing multiple things. You've dropped them and they bounce on the table and onto the floor. I've done that. Um, Megan has been from top to bottom of the stairs. I've, I've been involved in that. Um, like... You just drop your kids. I mean, it's like, but, but God made kids to bounce. He's very good like that. I mean, they, they do this kind of floppy thing, and they're generally, my children are generally uninjured after all of this. No, no, I don't, I don't especially not on this floor. I don't encourage you to give that a go. Um, I mean, you know, look what can happen. You get Naomi if you do it too often. So please, please be careful. Um, so I just wanted us to think about, you know, I showed those pictures because they're families and no family is ordinary. No family is average. No family is normal. And I've got to tell you, I don't think the church family is average, is normal, is typical. It's, every family is unique. Every expression of family is unique. And this expression that we call Hope House, part of God's family, that is the wider church in this town, the wider church in the world. The, the, the family that are the believers in Christ, you know, this unique part is, is not average. It is it's capable of dropping its kids. It's capable of doing strange things. It's capable of dangling them upside down. But it is God's family. And let's have a little look at what Scripture says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. That is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. Nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is an incredible, incredible gathering of people. I'm going to touch on in a few minutes' time a little bit, in a little bit more detail. But a sense of real family bringing together of all types of people. There's a covenant here amongst those people that are brought together in Christ. It's an agreement that is an, has an accountability to it, a commitment to it, a permanence to it. In much the same way that when you have a new child, there's a decision and dedication today that says we are committed to this, that this is a covenant, a permanency. Um, this is who we are. And you could see with the, those two parents this morning, there's a decision to say this is who we are in God. And this is how we're choosing to live. There's the same sense within the wider church family that we're saying, this is who we are in God. This is how we will live. So it speaks into our identity, into our vision, into our priorities, into our belonging, our perspective of life against an eternal backdrop. Because church is part of something that is an eternal family. So I've been noticing on the East Enders adverts recently, various phrases have been used. The, 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 all of these phrases have been used on the advertisements of East Enders recently, and they've all taken place between family members on East Enders. Get out of my pub. Get out of my house. I'll never forgive you. I'll never speak to you again. I'm seeing, things, I'm, I'm seeing to things my way now. I'll kill him. I'll kill her. Yeah. It's the closest to Cockney I can do. I always slip into Monty Python when I try to do Cockney. 
I'll never forgive you. I will never speak to you again. I'm, see, I'm going to see to things my way. I'll kill him. I'll kill her. I love good primetime family entertainment. <laughs> Honestly, I would rather live in midsummer murder. Um, <laughs> my chances would be better. Programs like that in social media um, impact our emotional responses and obviously it informs the way we live and the way we think and the way we talk. And so often we hear people use dramatic language and respond and, and they take their cues, you know, how should I react to a situation? How should I behave in a situation? And the biggest input they've had is from TV programs like that or social media. So they try to measure, oh, okay, in this situation, this is the kind of thing I'm supposed to say because that's how they've been programmed. That's what they've grown up around seeing. But what we're saying is when we raise our children, when we come together, we, we inform ourselves differently. We must form ourselves on the word of God, on a different level of friendship, a different level of family, a different level of connection. So what informs us is the word of God. And the word of God that we encourage into one another. That lifestyle that we feed each other with. So we come together as a whole family to protect one another. And we invite people into that family to belong to it in a whole new way. So how do we get positive? How do we bring that life of God into the church family? Well, like most pastors, I delegate a lot of ministry um, out into the wider church. So our teams of amazing volunteers do amazing work in the church so that I can focus on leadership and looking important. That's, that's my role here. Um, looking important while everybody else does the graft. You can try. Well, I only work Sunday mornings, let's be fair. You know, you can try, but you cannot delegate family. You cannot delegate relationships. Relationships are real, and they have to be lived. So you can't delegate that. You can't give that away. You can't give away friendship. You can't ask somebody else to take care of your friendships for you. You have to live them. And when you live in friendships, it will bring all sorts of tensions, all sorts of joys. Because the church isn't a job. It is family. Forgetting that this is a family is the biggest mistake that many of us make. So let's look at what we do to invest in our future so that Hope House Church family will be built. Uh, it can become the kind of place where Elijah can find faith, can grow up joyfully, can grow up knowing he's loved by a crowd of people, can grow up knowing he's secure and belonging, and where he can be influenced, not just by EastEnders, wow, please don't do that to him, but by the people around him that love him and are seeking to be like Christ. Where can we all be in a place where we can thrive and grow in our relationship with God? Well, here are five thoughts. Each of the five thoughts should take about 20 minutes each, so it'll not be too long. Relax. I'd just like to say that when we've got a family that are not from church, because they're now thinking, oh my days. I promise you, I will be done for about 12 o'clock, maybe 12.15. And then we've got the time of prayer and ministry and another time of worship. So by one o'clock, you'll be able to go for lunch. See, anything less than that now, they appreciate me. <laughs> Number one, all of the people we know have an experience of family. Every person you've ever met has an experience of family. Every one of them. The problem with having a gent's toilet at the front is everybody knows. All of the people we know have an experience of family. 
Most of the people we speak to and we try to reach with the good news, people we know outside of this gathering this morning, people that we meet in the street, in, in the world, in, in, at work, in the shops, they all have an experience of family of some sort. And how do we try to... Uh, they will always try to apply what we say and what we do into their lives. What I preach and what I say, you will try to filter into your life in context with the influence of family and relationships that you've already experienced, that you've already had. Because that means that the setting when you think of family could be good. It could be bad. It could be damaged. It could, family could be an experience you've had or an experience you've only observed. It may be that it has been damaging and bad for you. It may be that it's been rescuing and uplifting for you. But people will have experienced family of some type at some level. When we ignore family, we ignore the biggest part of the world, most people who attend our church or live outside it have been influenced by the people that care for them or should have cared for them, the people that protect them or should have protected them, the people that have taught them or should have taught them, the people that loved them or should have loved them. That is one of the biggest influences on who we are. And as a church, we have to be a people that learn to live as a loving family in the model of Christ. Our faith isn't just personal, but it is a shared experience. You know, so often we talk about my personal salvation, which is absolutely right and fine. But in the context of Scripture, it is always a gathering of people. It is always in the context of his family, his church, his people brought together. And so we get verses like this in Scripture. But you, I mean, 1 Peter, it's a letter written by Peter to a, to, a, to a church to inform them, to instruct them a long time ago, but it's still true today. But you are a chosen people. This is speaking to Christians, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not people, but now you are the people of God. That's an amazing verse, isn't it? Using words like chosen, like nation, like holy, special possession, people of God. The word nation there is just the most amazing word in the original Greek language. We don't have an English word for it. We'd have to have a whole paragraph to explain it. But the word nation there, genos, it, it's, it's when we are born into something. It's, it's bigger than the, you know, the birthplace. It's bigger than the country. It's bigger than diversity of people. It's bigger than generations. It's bigger than race. It's bigger than age. It's bigger than background. It's bigger than ethnicity. It's bigger than types. It's basically a new race of people made up of all the others brought together. That's what the word really means. We translate it nation, but it's really saying there is a new DNA here in God, and it's a bringing together of all different types. So the, the world, all the things that the world divides us by in Christ, we're united in. And just, just think on that. All the things that divide us in the world, all the barriers and differences and changes, all the fences that people erect around different types of people in God, they're the things he brings unity into. That's a remarkable thing. That's the kind of race I want to belong to. A visitor can be impacted by this family through every connection they have with Hope House, when they come through the door, when they get served coffee, uh, when they have conversations. But they're also impacted, not just on a Sunday morning, but by you when you're living out there. The family that you are, you will carry out. So if you're influenced by EastEnders and nothing else, you will go out into the street and when you have an argument, you'll scream things like, get out of my pub, like apparently a pirate does. <laughs> but if you're influenced by the Lord and his family, 
there'll be much more grace and reconciliation and forgiveness and rebuilding in your life. And that's the kind of influence we want. This means we have to think through the implications of how we live 24-7. 24-7 we have to think about how we live, that we get to be salt and light. We get to be Christ in any given situation. And I've, I've just been talking to Alistair when he arrived, and Alistair does this. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry you, you just, it was a great example for us when you shared with me. Alistair's a, a military padre, and he's taking self-defense classes because of the many works amongst, because some of them are a bit like trained to kill, and there's nobody to kill at the moment. So he thought, I'll do some self-defense classes. <laughs> I don't know what you're preaching, mate, but if you need self-defense classes after you've done this sermon, wow. <laughs> You know, you said, come and visit me in the barracks. I'm going to leave it for a while. <laughs> but <laughs> that's me. <laughs> but just imagine in that setting, there might be only one example of light of Christ in that setting. And it's Alistair. But in your work setting, in your, in your office, in your workplace, in your family perhaps, in your street, whatever it may be, you might be the only example of a Christ relationship that people have. So live it well. Live it well. Number two, the greatest tension um, most people face happen in families. Did you know if you have a row, when it happens in a family, it's always bigger, isn't it? I mean, I'm told this by experience because Julie and I have never rowed. We don't do rows. Um, It's a good job I'm not Pinocchio. Why is, this, why is it that when we have a row, when we have an argument, we can say harsher things to people that we love than people that we don't love? Somehow we rein it in when we're with colleagues. But when it's somebody that you love, you will say all sorts. Julie will say anything to me when she's arguing with me. She'll call me anything. And here am I showering her with flowers and love and care. <laughs> Never ever putting a word wrong. Being humble and gracious, patient. I'm also going to live under the patio after this sermon. <laughs> it's, it's a strange thing, isn't it, Joel, that sometimes in the middle of an argument, that we don't have many, can I say, um, sometimes you say the harshest things to those that you love. I don't know why that is. It's a strange thing. And so it's just, the same is true in the church family. Sometimes we expect more and we forgive less within the church family. The very place we should forgive more. And we should bear with one another. Scripture says bear with one another, prefer one another. And yet we have a greater intolerance for people sometimes in church than we do for those outside. And you know, actually the people inside the church are still people that are trying to work out how they live before God. They're, they're on a journey still. They're called disciples, apprentices. They're learning. And yet somehow... We expect perfection. Church, let's bear with one another. Let's forgive one another. Let's care about one another. Let's listen to one another. Let's not judge harshly one another. Let's not throw words that are difficult to pull back from each other. Let's not carry tension or anger. Let's forgive and, and, and let's be gracious towards people. People invest their emotion into family. And when you've invested emotion, that's where you hurt the most. And when you invest emotion into your church family, into your salvation, to this family, that has an eternal aspect. So it's who you are for eternity. And so hurt can be very, very deep and very, very great. So let's be people that prefer, that give. And so 
when we see issues, when we hurt or challenge, let us be a people that graciously say, but this is still my family. By the way you love one another, people will know that you're my disciples. The very words of Jesus. You know, so if we carry that within the body of Christ, people outside of this that don't know Jesus is, that not part of this church, that will recognize the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the preferring and the caring and the humility, and they will know that that is driven by Christ. We must value the church as a family. In your teaching and in, in, in our teaching and in our real life, protecting the unity of this body. We must offer love and forgiveness. Belonging to the church... Um, is everything. And allowing people to belong to it is everything. In Psalm 68, in verse 6, it says this, God sets the lonely in families. You know, I've just taken part in a survey for Barnsley Council. They, they phoned me up, and um, Joe's going to take part in the same survey for the Table Tennis Association. And they phoned me up to talk about isolation and loneliness. Talk about what contact we might have with isolated or lonely people and what we offered to help isolated and lonely people. And it was really difficult because I could talk about all the activities that we do and all the events people could come to and the way they could be cared for and wanted. But everything in me wanted to say to her, but all of that has nothing unless they're in a relationship with God. Because that is the ultimate. Salvation in Christ, in Jesus, is the ultimate solution to the isolation and loneliness. And even that, even then, because the pressure of the world is hard. And I wanted to give her the gospel and explain it. I'm hoping I get the opportunity. But, you know, ultimately, we can fill time, we can do things, we can enjoy things. But without the Lord, without being part of his family, it will always fall short. Number three, the people, people lie awake at night worrying about their relationships. People worry about what have they said, what have they not done. See, I want to imagine that people lie awake at night thinking, I am so excited because Paul's preaching tomorrow. I want that to be your face every Saturday night thinking, I think it's Paul's preaching tomorrow. Yes. And if it's anybody else preaching, I want you to go, oh, I'll be all right. <laughs> be okay. Cope. Anybody look like that last night? Who, who laid in bed thinking, Paul's preaching tomorrow? Neil did. <laughs> okay. As much as I'd love to believe people I wake at night wondering what I'm teaching about next, nothing could be further from the truth. People do not lie awake at night <laughs> worrying about those things. They lay awake at night think about the relationships and the pressures of life and the things that are happening to them and the people that they know. We need to realize that we might get further in connecting with people in real life. You know, we have this phrase, connecting with real people, connecting real people to real God in real life. We might get further if we understand connecting is about relationship. Not just experiences, not just doing things, but it's about relationship. And if we talk about relationship more than anything, we might touch lives. In Luke chapter 15, um, a gospel written, a good news written, a story, historical story written about Jesus. Luke chapter 15, there begins a story that starts like this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Story of the prodigal son. Does everybody know it? Story of the prodigal son. Jesus began by talking about relationship. And so when he's talking about people and God the Father, he's immediately talking about 
relationship because that touches heart. And that story begins in relationship as battles in the middle, but finishes in relationship. That is central to everything our God wants, central to who he is. His whole desire, the whole of the Bible from beginning to end is about his working, his love, his desire to have a relationship with us. And he's working through all the stuff that we do until he finds that point where he has resolved everything and restored us back into an eternal relationship with him. That is the heart of our God. That needs to be our heart, a determination to have a relationship, to love and to care and to connect people with Jesus. Jesus took relationships seriously. They're the basis pretty much for everything he says and he does. It's even his very last prayer. The whole of the Bible is one long journey of restoring family. And it's so, so important. When, you know, when we start taking relationships and church family more seriously than ministry and gifts, we enter into a, to a much deeper understanding about who we are in Christ and how that impacts our everyday life. It's about relationship, not gift, not talent, not doing. It's about knowing him first. So the fourth thing, people are looking for partners. People are looking to be in partnership. People look to belong, to connect. Literally, in some cases, some people are looking for partners. Some people come to church to find their eternal partner, their, their, their husband, wife, whatever it may be. Here's a challenge. Most churches can't understand why people aren't running to church with absolute passion. Why don't people run to church? Who thinks our pastor's great? Okay, your hands were a little bit slow there. I'm going to give you another go to make me feel good. Who thinks Hope House Church is great? I like the whoop. That's getting... Okay, one more go. Who thinks Hope House Church is great? <laughs> For the visitors this morning, that was entirely spontaneous and heartfelt. <laughs> you know, sometimes we wonder, I genuinely, I love Hope. I love this place. I love the people in it. It's, it's like... It's like I love it because I, I get to indulge myself. Yesterday, I stood here. If you're a visitor this morning, you're going to be lost at this moment. Yesterday, I stood here with a machine gun and shot 30 people. For those who were at the Air Force, <laughs> I literally did that. It was great. Um, and there was no viciousness in me at all. We just had a great time playing games. And the best thing is, I got to, I, to serve them... Not because I wanted to do it. I got to dress up like a soldier and run around with a machine gun. And, and I, I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy that, but it mattered to me that they had a good time. Okay? There was no little boy coming out in me. I matured beyond those things. Um, you know, the reality stuff about Alistair. Alistair is an adult doing that with real, like, real helicopters and tanks. He's still just a little boy playing soldiers. He just is. But I love the family that is the church. I love to be. I love being part of it. And here's the, people are not just looking for religion. People are not just looking for an experience on a Sunday. They're looking for a whole lifestyle. They're looking to be transformed. Looking for a partnership in life. Seeing the church family and faith as just another aspect of life will never be a passion. If it's just one of those things you do in the midst of a busy life, amongst other passions and amongst other interests, amongst other visions, it's just one more thing, then you will never truly find a passion for Christ. It'll be a big part of who you are, but it won't be who you are. But when we find a partnership with a vision for church, the vision for the good news, for the vision and commission that God places on us, then there's a whole new passion in our lives. And many of the things that we still do, many of the interests, many of the hobbies, many of the things we enjoy or we feel strongly about, they still remain important, but they all fall then into the shadow of knowing Christ 
And our motivation for our interest in those things shifts to a whole new level, into a whole new place. Because, you know, we can only worship the Lord. We can only worship the Lord. And everything else will detract from that. It's about knowing that you are chosen, that you are holy, that you are part of a new race, a new nation, a holy nation, set apart for purpose and call. And so whatever you're doing, whatever your passion, that has to be a passion that has grown out of relationship with Christ. We meet as a family, um, quite literally as a family we meet. Um, just to begin to draw this to a close. Uh, last weekend, my family met. I said my family, I mean Julie's family, and I went as well. And we gathered. They're a great family. I love them enormously. And they are weird. Um, it's all right. My family are equally weird. But I, I, we, we met. And can I tell them what happened when we arrived? Julie's nodding. <laughs> Julie's nodding in a kind of, oh, I think that means yes. <laughs> I'm not going into detail. We arrived, and my sister-in-law said to me, she don't listen to this, so it's all right. My sister-in-law said to me, oh, hey, how are you all doing? I'm really poorly. I've got a really bad problem. I bowel issues. I've got all sorts of bad. Oh, I'm just, I'm so bad. If you don't have to stay, if you don't want to stay, I have cooked food for you, but, oh, my stomach's, oh, I don't want to tell you what's been happening. But I've washed my hands, and I've been washing my hands while I've been preparing the food, and I've not licked my fingers this time. What do you mean you normally do? And I've washed the utensils as I've been going along. So you don't have to eat, you don't have to stay if you don't want to, but you can if you would be great if you did. And I'm in like every mouthful, I'm thinking. <laughs> I was in fear and dread as it is, I'm all right. Families are weird. What makes you think church family is going to be any different? Church family, Christians, are just people that were weird before that become saved. And now they're working the way into becoming more crap. They're not staying there. We're not Popeye. I am what I am. We are loved and accepted as we are. But we are apprentices. And then Christ begins to take us on a journey to begin to look like him. So we're not static. We're loved as we are. But we're loved as we are enough to take us on a journey to being like him. When we see... The church, just as a Sunday, or an additional lifestyle option, we're undermining the good news of Jesus and the eternal message of salvation that we carry. When we say, this is just what I am, we're undermining the good news. Because the Bible says, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. We are new creations. We're not the same. We are new. You know, as a whole past church, we want to be a church that sees people belong sees people grow, see people move from where they are, see people become, to become more like Christ, so they carry good news out. And 1 Corinthians, a letter written to a church in Corinth, 2,000 years ago nearly, it says this, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word or instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So whatever you do when you come on a Sunday morning, when you arrive here, whether you come and hold a microphone and share a story like we had last week, or you're serving coffee or welcoming, or you're just having conversation or playing a guitar, whatever you do, you do it so that what you do builds up the person that you're talking to. So that they feel good about who they are in God. They don't feel pulled down or torn or criticized, that they feel lifted up. That's what we're about. When a church has great relationships on the inside, the church will grow great relationships outside because we'll be authentic. It will be the truth, not just words. 
It's true for the whole and the individual. So the final thing I want to say, and the band can come back in a minute. Everyone is impacted by real family. One of the biggest challenges I hear relates to people who are not married, can't have kids, have lost kids, or else kids have grown up. I get that. We have to be sensitive to that. But the reality is we're all impacted by our experience of family one way or another. Every one of us has started out as part of a family, whether that's a broken or abandoned family or a joyful, complete family. And most of us are impacted daily by our own wider families and the families of the people that we love and the families of friendships that we have. But all this is a shadow of the God family, the church we're called into. And, and as a couple, you are called to be a family in Christ. And what you are is, in a sense, a shadow of the relationship between Christ and his church. And in the midst of that, you can create a home where your boys can grow in faith and love and security. And they can discover a relationship with the Lord themselves. But that is true for every one of us here. Jesus prayed this. It's written down in John chapter 17. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, and I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. The band can begin to come back now. Hope House is much more than Sunday. We believe being involved and loving our town and people for the sake of loving and serving it. And we think that's exactly what Jesus does. Every believer, each of us can play a role in shaping the next generation of believers. So just as we will all play a role in shaping the life of a small child, we will all play a part in shaping the lives of those around us, whatever their ages the lives of those new generations of believers that we don't even know yet, that haven't even come to faith yet, but will come to faith in Christ. We have a relationship with them too, and we will impact how they see Christ. The next generation are not just babies. They are people looking for who Jesus is. Quite simply, to ignore family is to ignore one of the strongest forces in our lives, one of the strongest, most shaping experiences. So let's show that this Hope House family is such an experience that it transforms the lives of those around us. Let's be one of those families that people know they're welcome, they can belong, that they're acceptable, just in the way the Lord accepts them and loves them and values them and gave his life for them, but rose again from death on a cross to life again for eternity and brings that new life into our lives be family because then we can go into the world with really good news and all men will know that we're his disciples so father i want to pray for this congregation now pray for this gathering of people i want to pray for those that know you and love you and have given their lives completely to you pray lord that you'll take us to a whole new place in our discipleship in our apprenticeship that it will take us to a new level of looking like you lord for those in this room that might not know you Lord, I want to pray that they would see in your people truth and authenticity and honesty. They would see a reflection of who Jesus Christ really is and that they would find you irresistible. That they would understand that you have loved them completely, even to death on a cross. 
you have served them to that level. But then you rose again to life for them. And Lord, for that big group of people, sometimes in between, that are just confused by this, that once knew you, that have been hurt by your family, that have drifted away from you, where the church got it wrong, Lord, we want to pray for those kind of people too, that they would discover that you are still their loving Father, that there is still a family, there is still a journey, there is still an adventure in you, there is still your overwhelming love poured out for them. Lord, we want to pray for unity this morning, that we would look like Christ. That, that's, that that last prayer of Jesus, that you and Father were one, that we and you are one, that we know unity with our Savior, that we know the strength of that, the joy of that, the love of that, that we would carry that truth into our broken world, that all the divisions of the world has, we will be a living example of the unity through those things, of the love of Christ. Lord, would you bless us and keep us? Would you turn your face towards us? Would you give us your peace? Would you place your name over us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.